0: Well, guys, let me pull you together, if you don't mind. Um, we do have quite a bit of stuff to cover here as we as we prepare to kick off. So I don't want to don't want to wait too long. But um, I'll give you a, a chance to talk back at your tables in just a little while as we get started. But let me pray for us, and then we'll we'll dive in. Jesus, we love you, and we're grateful for the chance to to gather this morning, Lord, as, as brothers from this church, Lord, as uh, men who want to study the scriptures and. and uh, learn better how to how to know you, how to follow you, how to um, lead our families, lead lead our friends, lead our communities to to know you and follow you as well. I pray over this this morning. I pray over this season, Lord, of studying the book of Acts. Lord, I pray that you would guide us and, and um, allow us to uh, experience all the rich benefits that you promise come as we study the Word, Lord. That we would grow strong. That we would bear fruit. That we would. Um, be equipped, perfectly equipped for all the things you've prepared for us to do. Lord, would you teach us? Would you correct us? Would you coach us um, for our lives, for our roles as husbands and fathers and and friends and family members? Lord, would you prepare us to be faithful uh, as as we dig into your word? Lord, little by little, would you feed us, nourish us, and grow us? And will we bear fruit that brings you much glory. Uh, we love you. We thank you for this chance to gather. It's in your name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to uh, Men of the Word, uh, an environment here at our church to build some brotherhood with, with other men, to uh, deepen your walk with the Lord, to build some healthy habits in your study of Scripture, and to you know, find some good accountability, healthy accountability around those habits uh, with other men from our church. This is, uh, without a doubt, one of my favorite rooms at Emmaus Church, uh, one of my favorite seasons that, that comes along every year, twice a year, uh, really because of the influence that's represented in this room right now. Uh, the, the role that you guys have as, as fathers, as, as men, as uh, leaders in your workplaces, in your in your careers, when when men thrive, communities thrive. When when men thrive, families thrive. So um, that's how God designed it. Um, and, and this room is here to help you thrive. Um, that's what we're here to do. Today we're kicking off our 11th. I counted it up yesterday. Our 11th semester of Men of the Word, uh, which is crazy. We've been doing it that long. Uh, we're going to be doing a 10 week study of the Book of Acts. Um, that stands as part two to part one that we studied in the fall. So I know some of you are, are joining us for the first time and you missed part one. Don't worry, that's what today's about, getting you all ca- ca- caught up to, uh, to dive into part two. We covered Acts chapters 1 through 12 in the fall. We're going to pick up in, uh, in chapter 13, go all the way to uh, 28, the end of the book uh, this cycle. It's 10 weeks long. So today is week one. We've got eight weeks here in a row consecutively. We're going to take the week of spring break off. Uh, it's also Easter week, Holy week. So uh, the calendar worked out in that sense this, this year. Um, and then we'll come back for, for two final weeks there in April. Uh, we'll be done towards the end of April and, um, and take a break until we um, figure out what we're going to study in the fall. Um, and if, uh, if, if this is your first time, today is for you uh, to, to get you caught up on how we operate here at Men of the Word, how uh, we expect the study to go, what ex- expectations we have on you. Uh, make sure you have a good overview of what happened. Um, in the fall what what played out in the first 12 chapters of Acts but even if you were with us last fall I I still think this is an important morning for us to uh, build some community of course but also to remember it all I I don't know about you but uh, I kind of forget what happened in the first 12 chapters of Acts and it takes some reminders Uh, so hopefully it'll be a good refresher for all of you as well, I want to begin uh, this morning with some overview, big picture of why we do Men of the Word, and, and sort of what what we're doing, sort of the format that we take. Um, that'll take the first half or so. Uh, I'll send you guys to some discussion uh, at your tables uh, to answer just a few questions about those things, and then we'll finish up with a with a pretty brief but a quick overview of Acts that should help you as you start studying. Tomorrow morning. So uh, you didn't have to read anything, prepare anything before today, but the study officially begins tomorrow. I will say right here at the front, uh, you are not obligated to actually go through the study. So as I explain what we're trying to accomplish and, and what we expect of you, if you're like, "No, thank you. I want out. I want my ten dollars back," uh, just let me know. Uh, we can we can make that happen for you. Um, but if you're in, we'll ask you to sort of sign your name on, on the line there and, and join us for for the duration. But. Uh, Let's let's start off with why. It's always smart to start with why. Why do we do this? What goals are we aiming to accomplish as Emmaus Church when we decided to create this environment? There's two, uh, the same as they've always been since day one, uh, but I want to take a few minutes to unpack them for you. The first one, we're seeking to deepen the spiritual maturity of our church. Uh, so we view this as an environment that is helpful not just to men at Emmaus Church, but to Emmaus Church at, at large. It is a in a sense, a men's ministry environment. But in another sense, it's also a women's ministry environment. And it's a kids' ministry environment. And it's a church ministry environment. Because all of you are involved in this church. You have, you have your own families. You have connections with friends and with, with other members of our church. And, and we're just strongly persuaded, uh, because of the Scriptures, that where you thrive, by God's good design, one of the primary ways that families and churches grow strong is by men growing strong. God sort of ordained the the, the role of men to uh, take the lead in pursuing God, to take the lead in studying Scripture, to take the lead in leading their families, leading their wives, and leading their, uh, their, their children, uh, leading their communities uh, uh, to follow God as well. And when that happens well, things go well for others. There's this beautiful way whereby fruit grows in, in profound ways when, when uh, men step into their role well. If you're a husband in this, in this room, without any question, God has called you to faithfully lead your wife in spirituality. Uh, Ephesians 5 is super clear on this. God's called us to you know, wash our wives in the water of the Word. we're to be uh, providing for them spiritually, making sure that they're doing okay spiritually. Our pursuit of Jesus, our pursuit of God should have the fruitful effect of us helping them pursue Jesus and pursue God. And in a real sense, when your wife is not doing well, God holds you accountable for that. If you're a father in the room, same thing. God's called you to lead your children spiritually. He's called you to raise them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, to teach them the Scriptures, to teach them how to fight sin, to teach them how to pursue the Lord. That doesn't stop when they leave your home, as every parent who has uh, adult children knows. It's a, it's a lifelong calling to uh, pursue God yourself, and as a byproduct of that, help them pursue the Lord as well. Much more is caught than, than taught. They see what you read. They see what gets your attention, what has your passions and your glory. A few years ago, I was teaching a, a family discipleship class, and um, I was trying to make the point to, to the group that uh, your kids see what you love. They know. You don't even have to tell them what you love. They see your life. They, they know what you love. And I, I took a little video recording of each of my kids. My, my youngest was too young to really talk at that point. But uh, Emmy and Hudson, my two older kids, I... I went. It was bedtime. I went to their rooms and I was like, "What does Daddy love? What are what are the biggest three things that Daddy loves?" And they both nailed it. It was God first. It was our family, and it was the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, and they both had it in that exact order, uh, which I'm like so proud of. Um, I am discipling them. But but all that to say, this this is how God's designed it to work. And for all of us, you may not be a a husband or a father, uh, the Lord may never lead you into those roles, but he's, He's called all of us to be on the front lines of pursuing Him as we exist as members of one another in this thing called the local church. And as we ferociously seek after God in our own time in the Word, in our own Uh, prayer life, in our own worship on Sunday mornings, as we lead our church in those serious pursuits of God with serious passion from our hearts. It has byproducts and fruitfulness all around us. You know, you just search the Bible and you will see this. Where men step into their role with serious spirituality, serious following Jesus, life around them begins to flourish. And where men neglect their role, it just begins to to fall apart, to degrade. Society begins to degrade, which is a little bit of a warning for us as we live in the the current society we have. I just want to show you two quick examples of this, a good example and a bad example. Um, I was thinking about this uh, and just had some fresh examples on my my mind from uh, my own study of Scripture this year. Bad example, I think we can start right in Genesis with Adam. Um, I've been reading through, doing a Bible reading plan this year, reading through the entire uh, Bible trying to, to knock it. I've never done this, you know, Genesis to Revelation in in one calendar year. Um, and it's been challenging to get into that pace of three to four chapters a day, but I've, I've really enjoyed it, but finished up Genesis back in January. Um, and, and man, just reading those first four chapters, Adam is not the best example of a godly leader and a godly man. Uh, right. God gave him the commandment to not eat the fruit of that tree. Uh, and yet who does Satan attack? first who does he tempt first his wife and it was Adam's God said it to Adam it was Adam's job to make sure his wife knew what they could and could not eat and clearly he's standing next to her as this whole interchange is happening because he takes of the fruit as she's offering it to him right in the same moment so where is he why isn't he speaking up? Why isn't he uh, helping his wife know the truth as she's experiencing these lies? Why isn't he, uh, even as she's falling, why isn't he you know, protecting himself and, and not coming into sin as well? What's fascinating about that exchange in, in uh, Genesis 3, who, who sinned first? Was it Eve or was it Adam? I would agree. It's, it's Adam, but it appears to be Eve, right? She ate the, the thing first. But when you read Romans 5, and when Paul's explaining the idea of original sin and the concept that we were all in Adam when he sinned and therefore we all got sinful natures from him, his, his rupture of, of sinning there in Genesis has resulted in sinful brokenness in all of humanity through all of time. Who's responsible for that? It's Adam. It doesn't say Eve sinned and, and therefore God held Adam responsible for all of that. Uh, it, it's so clear there. He, he neglected his duty and chaos Ensued. And the very next chapter, too, his sons, Cain and Abel. I, I never had noticed this until studying Genesis this time. But uh, Cain, you-, you know the story, Cain ends up killing Abel. But before uh, he kills him, they're both offering uh, offerings to God. And Cain appears to be sort of getting lax and lazy in his, in his offerings. Like clearly, uh, Abel knew what kind of offerings to offer God. God had instructed them, or he instructed Adam. Clearly, there was some standard you should offer this and not that. Well, Uh, Cain is is getting lazy getting lax he's not being faithful in those ways his brother is and he starts to get angry at his brother I don't know if they were John you know how brothers can be you all have them Uh, most of you probably have them but uh regardless Cain begins to get angry he begins to have this jealousy and my question as I read that is where the heck is Adam he's not dead he picks up at the end of chapter 4 having having other sons he's still there But as his son is dealing with real sin issues and and murder is sort of boiling up in his heart and and eventually going to spill over and result in the very first murder, where's dad? Where's the guy who can speak into his life and help him process these things? He's nowhere to be seen. It's actually the Lord who ends up speaking to Cain. God coming behind an unfaithful dad to try and intervene in, in Cain's life. It doesn't work. Cain, he says a very fascinating phrase to Cain. He says, sin is crouching in your heart. And it will overtake you if you don't master it first, which is just a good lesson for all of us men. But, but I just want you to see, you know, Adam is not fulfilling his role there. And, and without a doubt, in his, in his absence, chaos ensues. And conversely, a, another good example, or a good example um, that we see, there's a lot of them in the Bible. But I just finished reading um, the book of Daniel with my D group last, uh, last year. And um, man, what, a, what an example of, of a godly man. Um, he's a, you you know, the story of Daniel, he's, he's taken, he's in Israel, uh, Babylon takes over, defeats Israel, uh, conquers Jerusalem and they take their best young people, like all their young men, all their princes and stuff. And he, they take them into captivity, into Babylon in order to indoctrinate them. They're turning them into Babylonians. They're giving them Babylonian names. They give them all this great food, all, all these, uh, all the great privileges of being in the King's court. They're pouring out on these Israelites. Why? They're going to, change them into Babylonians and send them back so that they can really assimilate uh, the land into their, into their leadership and their rule. But, but you've got this youth. I mean, th- probably a teenager, upper teens, I'm assuming. 17, 18 years old. What's up, man? Welcome. Glad you're here. Um, 17, 18 years old, and he is finally away from his parents, right? Like, he is free, and he's being offered all the riches of Babylon. You can, you can have all this food, all this wine. And what does he do? He just resolves as a teenager outside, for the first time in his life, outside of the direct control of his parents. And he resolves, I will not defile myself. I will not depart from the Lord. Like somehow, I don't know who his dad was, but but somehow his dad got into him, and God got into Daniel, this strong backbone of faithfulness to the Lord. And he ends up, through the course of his life, you read that entire book, you, you see him influence his friends to hold fast to God. He ends up standing up to the pagan kings. Uh, he eventually leads Nebuchadnezzar into the worship of Yahweh. I mean, Daniel has a profound effect uh, by being so faithful to the Lord, even in an incredibly difficult Uh, situation. All that to say, the potential in this room right now is almost unlimited. The ability for you to impact the spiritual climate of the entirety of Emmaus Church is potentially unlimited. The seriousness with, with which you will take your spiritual lives, the seriousness with which you will take your study of Scripture can have the beautiful benefit of bearing fruit in the lives of your family. So some of you, as I say that, may be feeling just ultra convicted, right? Like maybe you're living in a home right now where there's a lot of chaos and things aren't going well. You haven't been fulfilling that role with your wife very well. You haven't been leading your kids that well. Uh, You think to yourself, I'm Adam, I'm not Daniel. And to that, I would say, praise God you're here. And praise God, God's a God of second chances and third chances and fifth chances. He's a God of grace who leads us faithfully by His Word to health. So listen to His voice. Listen to His leading. And let's make some changes. That's what this is about. This room is about us seeking after God in the way that the Bible tells us is the best way to find Him, which is His Word. Being diligent students, being men of the Word who, who grow. I love Psalm 1. It's like one of my favorite psalms in the entire Bible, I got to preach it last summer, and it was really fun to, to dig in even deeper and, and, uh, and learn it. But, uh, but Psalm 1, rightly put at the start of the Psalter as number one to just sort of prepare your hearts to study the book of Psalms. But uh, it has that great metaphor Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the you know, way of sinners and it sits in the seat of scoffers and doesn't take counsel with the unrighteous, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, you know, bearing fruit in season. His leaf doesn't wither, and everything he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff that just blows away. They won't stand in the day of judgment, but God sees the way of the righteous. It's just this great psalm that reminds us that that this book does to, it makes us into trees, strong trees. If you've ever been, my family loves to camp. We go to all these different uh, campgrounds, and Uh, Vogel, Vogel State Park up in, I don't even know what city it's in, North Georgia, uh, up in the mountains, beautiful state park, uh, land that's been protected for generations. Y'all, the trees are enormous. You leave a tree to actually grow. I mean, there's really no old growth forest around us, but when you get into one and you see how big a pine tree can actually become, and how big these, these hardwood trees, these oaks can actually become. It's, it's amazing. That's what happens when you read the Word. You become strong and stable and wind doesn't push you over. And you're not breaking down when the, and you're not you know, withering away when the, the heat comes and the, and the seasons get tough. There's, there's roots down deep that are drawing up nourishment, planted by streams of water. That's what happens when we, when we live our lives in the Word. So all that to be said. That's our goal. We want to help you become oaks of righteousness, men of the word. Uh, we live in a world without a lot of oaks, men, if you've been looking around uh, very much. We live in a very thin age with a lot of superficiality. Even in the workplace, people are, uh, they posture and they act like experts, but there's not a lot of depth. Not a lot of people spend a lot of time thinking and, and uh, meditating on anything. We're, we're superficial people with very slow attention spans, The internet, Facebook, social media, all of that is is largely responsible. It's well documented in a lot of research. But we have to be men who push back against those trends, who push back against the superficiality of our age and try to be men of depth, pushing down roots into God's Word. And He promises. He's he's faithful to His promises. He promises that as we dig in, we will grow. So uh, that's goal number one. We're trying to deepen the spiritual maturity of our church. Goal number two, we're seeking to Uh, build community among the men of our church. We actually do want you to have friendships with with the men in this room. Uh, We want you to have deep uh, relationships with them because the Bible makes it clear God's designed our spiritual lives to thrive in community. We're not supposed to be alone. We're supposed to uh, have brotherhood that uh, challenges us in our own walk, that spurs us on towards love and good works, that that seeks to make us uh, follow harder after Jesus, that pulls us back from landmines we might step on. It can sort of like wake us up when we're about to walk off a cliff, when, when sin is crouching at the door of our lives and, and things are not going well. Brothers who can, um, can speak truth in and, and love and, and draw us back to faithfulness. Uh, as our church grows ever larger, we need more relationships, more healthy relationships among brothers where you can be vulnerable, where you can be honest about the places where you're struggling and where you can grow. And we've designed this room to really be set up with with honesty. So you're going to start in the future weeks. We'll start off with discussion time. We'll, we'll begin next week uh, with assigned tables. We'll put you with a group and... Uh, the goal is for that time, and when we write some questions that, that go along with what you've been studying, but the goal is for you to be vulnerable and honest about the places where your life is falling short of the, the model shown for us in Scripture. So basically, it's a time to share where, where I suck, where I'm not doing good. And that's important. It, it's something we all resist as men. We've all got pride. We've all got ego. We want to posture and, and say that we're perfect. Uh, but men, you're not, and I'm not either, and what Helps us to grow is being honest and vulnerable about where we fall short, under the safety of God's grace, so that we can make changes and grow. Uh, so we need rooms like this where we can have good community, uh, safe vulnerability, and, and true repentance that leads to true uh, spiritual growth and and faithfulness. Uh, sin is real. Satan is real. Um, you put our sinful natures and. And Satan's temptation's in a room, and it usually doesn't go well. Uh, but it goes better when there's brothers. It goes better when we've got deep roots in the Word. So um, if you're extroverted, this, this goal is going to come more naturally to you. It's going to be easy to come and talk with brothers and, and engage in discussion time. But I want to talk to the introverts real briefly. You're going to want to resist. You're going to want to not answer questions. You're going to want to maybe even dip out, come late, sort of skip the discussion time, get here for the teaching time. Uh, push yourself. God may have given you a nature that resists relationships of depth, but you need them. You need friendship. So push yourself. It's good for your soul. Uh, So those are our goals. That's what we're trying to accomplish. Towards that end, I would love to uh, jump straight into discussion at this point. Uh, wrote three questions for you guys to chat at your tables. Uh, Bro, you can't sit by yourself for this part. So uh, we got plenty of seats. There's one up here. Probably that table close to you would work as well. But uh, take a few minutes, Uh, somebody appoint yourself a a proctor, and and, um, (laughs) y'all guide yourself through uh, a few questions here. In what ways have you seen the faithful leadership from men in your life impact your own soul? So not bad examples, but good examples that have profoundly impacted you. Secondly, evaluate your current spiritual life. In what ways are you proud or disappointed with your current habits of studying Scripture? Um, be honest there, men. Resist that temptation to hide. And number three, what would you say is your primary prayer for yourself as we begin this study? So take a few minutes. I'll give you about ten minutes and then we'll, we'll dial back in. All right, guys, let me, um, let me pull this back together. What I'd love to do, even before we jump into, we just got about 20 minutes left, um, and we'll, uh, we'll use most of that to do an overview of, of our study now. But even before we jump into that, I know question number two might be a real hard one to answer, honestly. Um, and, and maybe some of you did, and I'm proud of you for, for being vulnerable. Maybe some of you just, you know, being that real with guys that you don't know about what's really going on is just impossible. And so you, you didn't. I just want to pray for, for all of us and, um, and and encourage you to come back. I know um, I know what it's like to have your life in a mess. And I know how good of a, a cleanup artist God is. I know what, how good of a redeemer He is. And so um, if you're there, if you're that low, um, and, and question two is just... just um, hard. I'd love to pray for you. Let, let's pray. Uh, Jesus, I, I just want to ask your particular um, action um, for those who, who may have had a hard time answering number two, Lord, who may just be living under the, the accusations of Satan, the, the guilt and shame that come with failure. Um, and Father, you, you are a God who, uh, it's not that you like failure, it's not that you excuse sin, but you do forgive sin. You, you, you don't ignore it. You look straight at it. You see all of its horrors, Lord, and you, in, in love, decided to send Christ for that sin. You, you decided to pursue us even before we had turned ourselves, even before we had turned around. You came running for us. You made the first move, and it's a great demonstration of the love that you have And we thank You for that, Lord. And and I just pray that that these men would know that. I pray that Your grace would cover them, would remind them that they're safe to make changes, they're safe to uh, be free in in the love of God, to begin to follow You, Lord. So would You you make known to them Your love? Would You make known to them Your grace? Would You make known to them that tomorrow doesn't have to be the same as yesterday, Lord? And would this become an environment where they can uh, begin to Put down some roots into Your Word and make some some clawing efforts towards You. And uh, Father, would Your promise that all who seek You, find You, come true. Would all who knock, Lord, would You just open that door wide open. Um, would You even show these guys that You're the one who's helping them knock. You're the one who got them here this morning. So we thank You for Your grace, and um, I just pray you would guide our time. Let this be a season of, of rich growth for all of us. We love You. In we pray. Amen. All right, grab your books, if you don't mind, and uh, flip open to page uh, 10 and 11. I want to just orient you a little bit to this resource. This is produced by the Village Church in Dallas, Texas, um, very faithful church uh, that is, uh, does a lot of really amazing things. One of the things they do is a similar environment to this. They have a men's Bible study, women's Bible study, and uh, the, the resources they create in-house for their... For their own uh, church, they've made available to other churches to utilize and just phenomenal study books. So we have uh, jumped on this train and um, uh, this is what we used in the fall for part one, uh, continuing with it. Uh, Try not to lose these. These are expensive. They're about 20 bucks a piece. Um, So thank you for sorry we had to charge, but just helps us keep our our budget from blowing up. Um, helps us offset some of that cost. But the way this study works, so uh, pages 10 and 11, this this is today. Week one is really just one day long. It's us orienting you. I'll go through um, sort of these overview context information in just a moment. But flip the next page to week two. This is where you'll start studying tomorrow. And every week of this study is designed with uh, five days of work uh, and then a sixth day to sort of wrap up things. So just so you know, as you pace yourself, there's not seven days of reading. If you want to do a seventh day, you can use that time to read a Psalm or another book of the Bible. Um, But there are five days divided up into uh, these sections. And each day sort of begins with this little red section. You can kind of tell where you're supposed to start um, with the little Bible uh, thing that tells you what to read. And each day concludes with uh, a red section that says apply. So it's always trying to make you think about the word and then think about how it should apply to your life. Um, there's five of those days that are split apart. The first day you're going to read the whole section for the week and then it divides up the rest of the week into four days. Uh, so you're welcome also if you want to stretch it out into seven days, you can just sort of divide it up differently and answer questions as you go. But, but this is the first part of your study, uh, the, the, the first part of sort of your, your, um, what we expect of you if you decide to go through this, is your own daily... Personal study of Scripture. So, Men of the Word is not just a gathering where we get together and hang out. It is a commitment to be studying the Scripture on your own on a daily basis. So, this is what you'll go through. When we come together, sort of part two of Men of the Word is the discussion time. So, you will have already done your reading. You'll come together and you will discuss at a table uh, beginning next week what you read, what you studied, what stood out to you. Um, I'll usually give you a heads up of which questions we plan to answer. Uh, So bring your books. Uh, It's it's a good source of accountability to have to open up your book, and people can see is it totally blank, or did you did you write some notes down? Uh, Don't let if you if you're totally blank, still come. Like don't let that uh, that grind keep you from showing up. But I will tell you, you know, we're trying to help each other develop healthy habits here. So let that good rub do its good thing. Um, But we'll discuss sort of let that the the word um, hit off other brothers and and have some good. Conclusions be drawn in that time, and then we'll we'll conclude every time with the teaching time. I'll teach some of those. We'll have some of you teach some of those as well. Um, but uh, just a time to sort of uh, solidify um, what we've learned through through preaching, that great act that God's created as a good means of grace for us. So, um, if you're in, this is the moment. You can hop out if you'd like. But if you're in, there are note cards on your table. If you wouldn't mind. Uh, signing your name on the note card. I know it's, there's no contract involved here, but it's just an act of the heart to sort of say, I in." Mean, maybe print your name as well, especially if I can't read your signature. Uh, I will not assign you a table if I don't have a card from you. So uh, that's important. Um, if, if you came with somebody that you really want to be at the same table with, uh, maybe, maybe write a note of that as well on that card as I make table assignments. Um, if there's somebody that you hate and you really don't want to be at the table with them, uh, you can write that down and I'll probably just violate that. I'll probably put you with them anyways. And if, if, you, uh, if you feel like you'd like to be a table leader and sort of be responsible for guiding discussion and helping, you know, if, if somebody doesn't show up, follow up with them, um, trying to keep some consistency, uh, maybe put a star on there that would let me know that as I as I keep that in mind. We always have more volunteers for that than I have spots, so uh, we'll we'll see what is needed there. But if you're willing, put a star that would help me, um, and I'll collect those at the end. Um, I will mention one other thing uh, about the book on page uh, seven and eight, sort of where it all begins. There are some good uh, descriptions of. They call them Bible Literacy Tools, this page right here, page 8. Um, that sort of walks you through good habits of studying the Bible. So one of the things I love about this book is that it does, through the questions, guide you through like how to think about Scripture. Um, but if you've never studied the Bible before and you are looking for a healthy framework for making sure that you're studying it faithfully. Uh, This method is known as inductive Bible study, comprehension, interpretation, application. Uh, It's a good way, no matter what you're studying, to think about Scripture, to make sure you're making healthy conclusions that are true rather than just sort of drawing out uh, random proof text that that may not be true. Um, But with that, flip back to page 11, and um, I want to give you some context for all of you to remember who wrote Acts and all that kind of stuff uh, as we begin to study. It's always vital to know context of a book before you begin studying it. Yes, the Bible is God's holy word inspired by God, uh, able to teach and instruct us. But the Bible is also a collection of letters and writings. And Luke was written as a, a work of literature. And so you should know who wrote it, who he was writing to, why he wrote it. Those things help inform his meaning, which the, the Holy Spirit inspires, not just the words, but the meaning, the heart, all of it. So it just helps to inform uh, your interpretation to make sure you're seeing it all c- correctly. So uh, who wrote the book of Acts? Authorship. It was Luke. Luke the physician. He was a friend, a companion of the Apostle Paul on his second and third missionary journeys. We're going to see him show up in Acts part 2. Uh, the The narrative will change from uh, they and them statements to I and we statements because he's there in the midst of, of Paul's journeys. Uh, it is technically anonymous. He didn't write his name on this book, nor did he write his name on the Gospel of Luke. Um, however, we have a lot of confidence from uh, history and church tradition uh, to, to hold that it was in fact... Uh, Luke. If you're interested in some of that, I can let you know. Audience, to whom was it written? It was written primarily to a man named Theophilus, uh, who's referenced at both the beginning of Luke and the beginning of Acts. These were written as one volume. Uh, Back then, um, you could not uh, fit everything. uh, The way they wrote was was on scrolls, and so he could not fit his entire uh, history of Jesus and the early church on one scroll. So he did two scrolls. The first scroll became known as the book of, of Luke. The second scroll became known as the book of Acts, um, but both are from Luke to Theophilus. We assume, though we don't know who he is, we assume he was likely the patron of Luke, a a wealthier individual who uh, probably funded Luke's investigations and his research, uh, helped to support him as he was studying all this stuff. He clearly interviewed a lot of people to put this history together. Um, so he probably paid for it, and it was likely, though he would have gotten an early draft, it likely was intended to be widely distributed as a, uh, a, a historical record of the early church. Um, it is the only uh, inspired historical record that we have of these early days, from Jesus' ascension uh, up to um, AD 60, uh, 62 AD is, the, is sort of the last year when the history covers Um, Occasion, when was it written and why? It was written, we assume, in 64 AD. There's also a possibility that it could have been uh, later, like 70 to 85 AD. Um, I fall in the camp that it it was probably 64 AD. The reason is uh, that's when Paul died um, and his death. Paul is like the main character in the book of Acts. I know he didn't really show up at all in part one, just a little bit, but he is central in part two. Uh, we're going to see him and get to know him a lot this, uh, this semester. Um, and he passed away in 64. So if, if that was known, it would have been included. That's my assumption. Um, there are some scholars that hold that it was written at a later date, but we know that it was concluded by 85 uh, because that is the date when we know Luke died. So um, somewhere there between 62 and 80 AD is, is where it was uh, written. Uh, genre, what style was it? was it written in? Um, this is what's known as biblical historical narrative. Uh, it's the same category of, of genre as we uh, as we have for the Gospels. It's history. It absolutely is a history book, but it's more than history. It, it uh, conveys theological and redemptive truths that are meant to sort of help us understand the true purposes of God. Um, it is written in a style of high Greek vocabulary, so the author was clearly very educated, uh, clearly a Gentile, um, the vocabulary and syntax are among the most polished in all of the New Testament, It is a master work of literature, well-revered as an ancient work of writing, clearly an educated author. Makes a lot of sense that it was Luke, the doctor, the physician, uh, who, who did that. Um, which I just love that God chose uh, in his providence a man who he had gifted with a with a keen and acute mind, and had prepared in all these interesting ways for this thing. Just goes to show God wired you for His purposes, and so the gifts that you have, men, don't be uh, don't be blind to them. God uses those in profound ways. Um, themes. This is critical when you're studying a book of Scripture. It's always important to track the major themes. It's usually where you'll find the the gold nuggets, the diamonds down there in the rough uh, as an author is conveying some really big things again and again and again as the theme develops through the entire work it's pretty profound to see. I already gave you these five uh, last time we studied them very closely uh, in the fall but I want to give them to you again especially for all the new people. Five central themes that I see playing out in this book. Number one the work of the Holy Spirit. You could also say the person of the Holy Spirit just circle Holy Spirit. Um Without a doubt, he is on major display through the entirety of the book of Acts. Uh, he is showcased as the, as the one who brings the power for the church to be born and to uh, explode with this powerful growth uh, in the world around it. Um, the second theme would be witnessing, witnessing for Christ, proclamation. Uh, the word witness appears so many times, uh, very clearly connected throughout this book with the theme of the Holy Spirit, in fact, Acts 1:8, which is like the thesis statement of the entire book, uh, God or Jesus is promising His disciples right before he ascends. He says, "The Holy Spirit will come upon you, give you power, and you'll become my witnesses to, in Jerusalem, and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth." That's what, you, that's what the book of Acts is all about. It's the Holy Spirit coming and the, the disciples and the early church witnessing to Christ. Witnessing of the resurrection, witnessing of the gospel, and and people coming to saving faith, starting in Jerusalem, but moving out into the entire earth. Uh, Third theme, development of the church. Circle the church there. Uh, Because it is the the main and and the only uh, inspired narrative of the early church, we are seeing profound development of the church as an institution so the office of elder is established the office of deacon is established the office of apostle is is established Uh, you know from jesus's ascension up to paul's arrest and he's he's in prison at the end of the book about to be killed this is the main history of how the church began and developed uh so it gives us a great glimpse of that um an important thing to be tracking as as we read it Um, fourth theme history of salvation keyword there salvation. Uh, Luke develops an uh, important theme in uh, specifically Acts. Um, you see hints of it in, in his uh, book of Luke as well, but, but here in Acts you are seeing very clearly him make connections uh, with the gospel to the Old Testament. That's what I mean by history of salvation. He is very clearly saying nothing new is happening here, Jews. The, the gospel that Jesus has brought, the the uh, you know, atonement and the redemption that He offers through the cross is 100% connected with the Old Testament. We're not dealing with a new faith. This isn't a new movement. This is a unified whole with the old. And so you'll see a lot of mentions to Old Testament Scripture. You'll see even uh, here as we start this week, you're going to see Paul give a very persuasive A sermon in a synagogue where he is uh, helping Jewish people understand that Jesus is the Messiah, that his salvation is the salvation that was promised in the Old Testament. So big theme to be tracking for sure. Last one here, evangelization of the nations. Uh, Luke being a Gentile highlights an important valuable truth that we see throughout the book of Acts, which is the gospel is for everybody. It's not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles as well and the gospel will go everywhere. Uh, it's It starts off in chapter 1 as a church just in one place, Jerusalem, 120 people, and uh, here we are today. It's a, it's a global gospel, and that is totally consistent with what Jesus wanted and, uh, and His plan in the Old Testament up till now. So uh, the nations seeing the gospel break forth into Gentiles and into new places is definitely a big thing to see. Um, and with that, I have three minutes to tell you all about the first 12 chapters of, of Acts. Um, so here's a quick overview. Chapter 1, the church begins. Jesus gives them His great commission there in Acts 1.8. You'll receive my power. You'll be my witnesses. There are only 11 of them at that time. It's the 12 apostles minus Judas who betrayed. Uh, and they, Jesus departs and they immediately start to gather to pray. The initial believers join them. There's about 120 people that form the entirety of the church of Jesus Christ at that time, they're at the end of chapter one. Chapter two is the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit falls. Peter preaches. Tongues are spoken. Uh, glorious, magnificent moment. 3,000 people added to the church in one day. So now you're up to 3,120. Chapter three, they heal a lame beggar. Peter and, and John do. Uh, a crowd gathers. They preach another amazing ser- sermon. Another 5,000 men, and presumably more people as well, uh, were baptized. So now you're up to like, let's say 13,000-15,000 people in the church in just a few weeks. Uh, Chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira die, fall dead in a really profound way, uh, guilty of hypocrisy and deception and greed. Uh, it doesn't stop the church at all. In fact, the fear of God falls upon the church in that moment. And it says more than ever, believers are added to the church. So now if you double it, we're up to 30,000 know, members in just a few chapters. It's, it's very uh, uh, rapid growth. Uh, chapter six, the first deacons are appointed. One of them named Stephen becomes a central figure uh, as he's just a great preacher, uh, really defending the gospel and the, the unity of Christ with the Old Testament. So much so that they don't like him. The Jews, the Jewish leaders don't like him. They arrest him on false charges in chapter 7. In that uh, trial, he gives a beautiful sermon, the entirety of chapter 7, and then he's killed. Uh, they, they murder him. He's the first martyr. And right after killing him, persecution breaks out into the city. All these 30,000 people, new converts, growing rapidly church. They're running for their lives. Many of them flee. They have to escape into the the area around them. Um, But it doesn't stop the gospel at all because as they go, what do they do? They carry the gospel with them to new places. You see the first Samaritans converted as the gospel goes to Samaria, just like Acts 1-8 tells us. And then you see the first Gentile conversion with the Ethiopian eunuch A man who's on his way to Africa, Ethiopia, carrying the gospel now back to Africa. So uh, God is on the move. Chapter 9, Saul, the great persecutor of the church, uh, is converted in this dramatic way. Uh, He ends up living in Damascus for a few years, preaching the gospel there. Uh, And then he goes and visits Jerusalem for a minute. This is key, though. He gets shipped off to Tarsus, which is his hometown. He doesn't stay put in Jerusalem for long. Uh, Chapter 10, you see uh, the conversion of Cornelius, um, which God makes in a very clear and profound way. Uh, it clear to the church that the Gentiles can be saved as well the the gospel is not just for Jews but for Gentiles Uh, in chapter 11 uh, a bunch of Gentiles are saved in the church of Antioch um, as you have the the first great church outside of Jerusalem beginning to be established and it's the first church where you have a lot of Jews and a lot of Gentiles converging it's a true uh, Christian church in that sense um and Barnabas is sent up there from Jerusalem to be uh, the, the pastor, to help out. He goes and gets Paul from Tarsus, brings him back to help in Antioch. And a lot of stuff is happening in Antioch that's going to bubble forth in part two. In chapter 12, persecution hits Jerusalem hard. So Antioch's in the north, Jerusalem's down here in the south. Persecution falls. James, which is the brother of John, is killed, one of the uh, first apostles to be martyred, the the first apostle to be martyred. Um, And then Peter is arrested, and presumably he's going to be killed as well. That's when God does that miraculous escape from prison while he's asleep. Um, and, And we end chapter 12 with Herod, the guy who was doing all this persecution. He dies, and it says, The Word of God is still multiplying and and strong. So even in the face of all these challenges, God's word is exploding. There you go. I took four minutes. I apologize. We have prayed a few times. I'm going to let that be. You guys are dismissed. We'll see you next Wednesday. Uh, Don't forget to leave your note card so I can make sure to put you in a group. Thanks, guys.